at times a tactical genius, at times a bumbling idiot, a flawed man with promiscuous tendencies, possessor of a managerial career spanning 42 years in multiple continents, whilst he nurtured thousands of the world's best careers. And then this lot. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate the life and times of Sven Juran Eriksson, whilst picking the Sven Juran Elevenson. Ben, that is a superb one. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Is it is it Juran or Goran? I, d- I don't even know. I, I think we're gonna we're gonna urinate on this podcast. We're gonna urine. Okay, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Sven Juran. I mean, Sven is such an iconic name in football. I mean, it fits plum in our sweet spot, that kind of early noughties period of time. Um, And of course, as England manager, Sven gains some fans, plenty of critics, Um, but he must have got there through success in the first place, right? And maybe you'll learn something through this podcast about the early years of Sven and some of his successes domestically via 11 players who played for him. Uh, If you are new to the 11, uh, we are a podcast that celebrates nostalgic footballers, some of their careers and stories. We're employing a 3-4-3 formation, which is a little bit random. And it's pretty much just because as certain players, we really wanted to shoehorn into this 11. If you have any players that you really think ought to be mentioned uh, who played under the legend Sven Juran Eriksson, then please do get in touch at 11pod. That's the word and not the number. Let's go from back to front, Arthur. We always go from back to front, man. We do. It's no big coincidence. Uh, and it's Russell Holt in goal. Oh, that is so 11-y. <laughs> that is really 11-y. Yeah, it is a little bit. He um, emerged at Leicester, where he was usually a reserve, and mixed with spells uh, on loan at clubs such as Lincoln City, Kettering, Bolton. Um, finally got his chance when he was signed for £200,000 by Derby County in 1995. Not an insignificant fee for the time. He repaid the faith, helping them to promotion the following year, where he would experience his first taste of Premier League football, um, performed well, kept the Rams in the league, but was eventually ousted from the lineup by the mighty Mark Poom. He would spend the lion's share of his career at West Brom, uh, joining them for 450k in 2001. Again, his first season, he would star in a promotion-winning side, keeping a club record number of clean sheets and being named in the PFA Division One Team of the Year. He was a regular for Albion in the Premiership, where um, he first attracted the attentions of Sven Juran Eriksson, but never made it into the national squad. He saved several penalties in his time at West Brom. And once they were eventually relegated, he helped them bounce straight back. An excellent goalkeeper, Russell Holt, I'd say. In 2004, he was voted as one of Albion's 14 greatest players. Um, He did finally unite with Sven in rather comical circumstances uh, at Notts County in 2009-10. This is when Sven was appointed director of football at the world's oldest league club. Uh, following a mysterious takeover by Middle East consortium Munto <laughs> Finance. Um, it was an absolutely bizarre turn of events, this one, wasn't it, Ben? Did you mention that it was Notts County? Yes. Oh, sorry, did I just miss that completely? Yeah, I'll, no, answer, I I'll answer your question properly now. Yeah. 
It was so bizarre. I mean, thinking of Sven linked with Notts County, it, it just makes no sense in my mind whatsoever. I, I didn't know Russell Holt played for them. Yeah, he, he was um, essentially the keeper who was ousted by um, their main big money signing, frankly. He played uh, the first three games of that League Two title winning season uh, before eventually being replaced by Kasper Schmeichel, um, a player... Ericsson would, of course, manage at Man City and Leicester. Ericsson was reportedly paid £2 million a year. Uh, It was believed his contract was based on the future success of the club, with a large percentage shareholding making up his contract. So uh, essentially, he stood to benefit from the success that the club experienced on their hopeful climb up the uh, the football pyramid. Um, Sol Campbell would incredibly also sign for the club. Uh, that he would play one game, a 2-1 defeat to Morecambe, uh, before walking out the club three days later saying, I was being a mug. Um, Sven would leave shortly thereafter, and essentially Russell Holt's career would peter out in a player-manager role at Thringstone Miners Welfare, um, which is a great uh, great name of the club. Great name. Yeah, but I, one thing I wanted to mention about this Notts County story was I, I just found it immensely satisfying and impressive that after all of this fallout various players leaving um they still managed to win the league i was really impressed by that because i think any i think it would be very very easy for any club to just melt under that scenario where off the field of play your whole club is falling apart and they still rallied won the league yes they kept casper schmeichel for the whole season and he was outrageously talented for league two but um it was a wonderful story and, and Sven was so integral to that. So I felt even though he wasn't the manager there, we absolutely needed to mention it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Russell Holt always strikes a memory for me of wearing his collar up, which is quite unusual for a goalkeeper at that time. Do you, do you remember him donning a collar like that? I don't really, but it does. It Now you mention it, it just seems very natural for Russell to do that, you know? Um, it's quite nineties of a, for a football player, I feel. Um, so Russell was maybe sort of, um, you know, from a bygone era, really. Certainly, we we delve deep into Wikipedia pages of of player profiles on this podcast. It, it does appear Russell Holt has had rather a seedy past after off the field. Yeah, we obviously on the eleven do not condone uh, any kind of behaviour of that of that nature. So. Um, yeah, Russell, you're lucky you're getting a feature in this. Um, keep yourself to yourself, please, from now on. Mm. It does mention a club polo shirt, though. The collar <laughs> comes back again. Good. At centre-back, um, we've gone for, oh, I've gone for someone a little bit older. And I'm, I want to take us back to the very beginning of Sven's career, actually. Uh, my player pick for centre-back is Glenn Hyson. That slightly rings a bell, but I don't think I know where I'm presuming this was a, a Swedish club. That that's spent. that's right, Arthur. Yeah. And Glenn Heysen, he will be known well by uh, Liverpool fans, but he, he dates back quite a long way. Very beginning of the 90s, sort of late late 80s, really. So um, not surprising you're not too familiar. Um, Sven is a player. He had a, quite an unassuming career in Swedish football as a right back. Uh, he says himself he was looked upon as a distinctly average defender but someone who rarely made mistakes. Um, and when he retired, he went into management with Dega Force, who were a small team in Sweden. 
Um, the manager at Dagerforce at the time was Tord Grip, who would go on to be the Swedish national coach. Um, and Ericsson stepped up to be first team manager, leading the small team to the playoffs in 1977 and 78, uh, winning the latter and promotion to the Swedish football division two. Uh, and that attracted the attention of a big name in Sweden, IFK Gutterborg, uh, in 1979. The move was a bit of a surprise. Many of the players hadn't heard of Sven um, and he was never actually a fan favourite at Gothenburg um, because he had quite a negative style of play. Um, he'd always put results ahead of flair and favour work rate and tactical awareness over entertainment. But his success was undeniable. Uh, in three years at Gothenburg, he won a league title, two national cups and a UEFA cup in 1982. Um, and whilst I don't know many of the players on that uh, Gothenburg winning side, uh, Glenn Heisen was one that stuck out. Um, it was his first gig in professional football, Glenn Heisen. So he was spotted by Sven, an emerging centre-back. So Swedish, apparently, as a child that he wanted to become a member of ABBA when he was older. <laughs> but as well as success under Sven at Gothenburg, uh, he would follow him to Fiorentina and play in Serie A for a couple of years. Uh, and it was there that Sven helped uncover Roberto Baggio. So uh, Sven was making quite a name for himself in the early days of uncovering great talents. Heisen, once he'd chosen football and not ABBA, he was Swedish footballer of the year twice in the 80s. Um, in his pomp, he played for Liverpool, making 72 appearances at the beginning of the 90s, winning the league title alongside Alan Hansen and scoring in the famous 9-0 win over Crystal Palace. Uh, and as well as the gold ball uh, for being Sweden's best footballer, Heysen also won, Arthur, the store grab in 1983. Now, this is kind of the Swedish equivalent, I suppose, of sports personality of the year. It's a kind oh, of... I thought you were going to say supermarket sweep. No, just... sadly, store oh, grab. <laughs> store grab. That's so good. I wish it was. I wish it was. But it's not. It's like sports personality of the year. It does have a translation, though. Do you know what store grab stands for? Uh, best player? Big boy. <laughs> <laughs> which um, which is a little bit odd. But but there we go. Every year, Sweden Swedish football elects a big boy. A big to... boy. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Heisen was the big boy in 1983. Um, but actually, I, I will come back to talk about Heisen later in the episode, because uh, an amazing thing about him, Sven not only coached Glenn Heisen at the start of his career, but he also coached his son, Tobias Heisen, at the yes, end of his bad. career. Yeah, Tobias played for Sunderland for a time. Um, it was actually in China that Sven managed Tobias Heisen. Um, it was in Sven's first season there, and he scored 19 goals and 10 assists in 28 matches. So um, he got the best out of both Heisens. And like I say, I'm sure we'll touch on that later. Another big boy is Sol Bamba. Oh, no, he is a big boy. He is indeed. Um, I, I'd just like to say our three centre-backs here, I, I just feel this is kind of out of deference to Sven, really. We wouldn't want to try and pick a right-back when he, of course, would have been our right-back. Yeah. Um, another Sol in this, but in my mind, a far preferable one to Sol Campbell. It is, of course, uh, the former PSG youth prospect, Sol Bamba, um, who ended up at Leicester under Sven 
uh, via a stint in Scottish football, first at Dunfermline, where he was Scottish Cup <laughs> runner-up. Dunfermline? Dunfermline? <laughs> what a weird way of saying it. It's such a weird way of saying it. Dunfermline. <laughs> I think most know him from his 112-game spell at Cardiff, during which uh, he was diagnosed with and recovered from cancer and became a club legend. Mm. Um, but of course, we are here to talk about um, Sven. So the link with Sven first started uh, when Sven accepted a £270,000 offer uh, to take the reins at Ivory Coast for the 2010 World Cup. Um, there he would manage the juggernaut, Bamba, six foot three, I think we can call him a juggernaut, yeah. uh, ultimately um, shoring up their defence, but failing to get the best out of a, an impressive attacking unit. They uh, started with a goalless draw uh, against Portugal, which was impressive, uh, but that was followed by a 3-1 defeat to Brazil, um, though they met expectations beating North Korea in the final game 3-0, it wasn't enough, sadly, to secure passage to the knockouts and Sven left. I have a question, Ben. Has a manager ever been a success when appointed short term just for an international tournament? I I can't think of any. I I just think they need a they need a build up. They need a yeah. lead in for a major tournament. That is interesting. Um yeah, I'm trying to think. Was Big Phil Scolari short term? No, I think he was a long term contract with Brazil. He kind of does seem always like that sort of short term. Yeah, I think in my head season. it feels it, but I'm not. I'm not sure he was. You're probably yeah. right with that. Please let us know at Eleven Pod if you have any responses to that question. Um, ironically, given Sven actually left Sol Bamba on the bench for the entirety of that World Cup. <laughs> he actually preferred Didier Zakora in a kind of Mascherano type shift to centre back. Um, Sven did recruit uh, Bamba in his very next role as manager of Leicester City. Uh, ultimately, Sven wasn't a big, big success there, uh, though he did move them from relegation threatened to mid table mediocrity. Uh, he was also responsible for their signings of, amongst others, Kasper Schmeichel, who I mentioned earlier, uh, who would go on to play a key role in Leicester's shock 2015-16 Premier League title. So I think Sven can actually, you know, probably claim some element of uh, of, of um, credit for that incredible success. Um, it was at Leicester that Bamba started on his journey to become a championship stalwart and legend. Um, I like this quote from, from, um, from Sol. He said, I love defending, absolutely love it. When I go into a game, I set myself a target. I don't want to lose a header anywhere on the pitch. Sometimes I see defenders and I ask myself, does he actually like defending? But I love going into a tackle, winning a challenge or a header. That's why it's good here, because the fans appreciate that. In France or in Italy, when you do good defensive tackles, they're not bothered. But here they like that. And that makes me want to defend even more. And he said that in, uh, in 2018, quote on Wikipedia, on the art of defending. Oh. And I think it's a there. It's a very English thing to just like sort of the big tackles and the big kind of, you know, that's why you like the game over here, really. Absolutely. But also really good with his feet, Sol Bamba. Um, obviously, we, we've got the style of play 11 episode in our repertoire. And I was delighted to find that Sol Bamba had a style of play section where Sven is mentioned for comparing the big defender to Franz Beckenbauer. 
Yeah, I saw that too. Um, but then I clicked on the article, which you haven't done. No. Um, and, the, and the article is essentially Sven um, lamenting the fact that he thinks he's be- he's Beckenbauer at times and he shouldn't run out of defence. Like <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, okay. So, good. Um, yeah, I mean, he had he had good feet for a big man, but perhaps Sven, well, you said it earlier, Sven valued kind of defensive solidity and, and everything. And he... Basically, you know, Sol wanted to play in a team where he could express himself and Sven maybe didn't let him do that as much as he wanted to. Great pick, Arthur. Love that. And another rock alongside him. What can I say that hasn't already been said about Anthony Gardner? (laughs) Just love him. What a guy. A man mountain, six foot five Amazonian centre-back from Stone in Staffordshire, and that's how hard he really is. He was a George Graham signing for Tottenham. Um, He made his biggest impression there, making over 100 appearances. But in truth, his career was blighted by injury. He was always in the the physio room, ankle, knee, spinal injuries. um, And in the end, an Achilles injury would be the final straw as he retired at 33. Um, But why is he mentioned in this uh, Sven episode? Well, he's part of an exclusive club, and that's those to get one cap from Sven Joran Eriksson for his country. Unbelievably, (laughs) Anthony Gardner was indeed called up to the England squad. Um, It was during the golden generation, the likes of Beckham, Owen, Lampard, Gerard Scholes. Um, But a little bit of bronze snuck into that golden generation. Um, This elite one-cap club included... Darren Bent. Um, it also included Lee Bowyer, um, Michael Ball, David Dunn, Francis Jeffers, um, Michael Ricketts, several more. Ricketts. <laughs> and, and Gardner's one cap, incidentally, came against Sven's homeland, Sweden, a friendly in which England lost 1 0. Sven's England stint, Arthur, started in 2000. And to be honest, he was mostly piss poor, wasn't he? Uh, I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. Really? I think, yeah, I think he had like nearly 60% win ratio. Um, I mean, I suppose it was a you know it was it was a good team, but equally, I think we we got to like three quarterfinals. Two of them we lost to Portugal on penalties. Yeah, so that's a bit of a throw of the dice. I I just feel like he didn't have an awful lot of luck. And also, we beat Germany five one. That was an incredible game. So um, that basically dispels all the uh, all the rumours about him being crap. Five one Germany. In a nutshell, that's Sven for it in the England role. That's really interesting because I <laughs> I don't actually agree. I think I always see Sven as the man who had the golden generation and just couldn't win a title. I do I do understand your point. I, when I was researching Sven's time in the England job. I did pull out the fact that we went from 17th in the world to fourth in the world rankings. Um, and in terms of the full ratings, including win percentages, he was actually the second most successful manager after Alf Ramsey. But parking that, Arthur, I still can't help but look at, at tournaments like that 2004 Euros quarterfinal exit to Portugal and think... Man, surely that was our chance. Yeah, I mean, I I can see that, but again, I would I would fall back on the the 2004 tournament. We had Wayne Rooney on absolute fire, and then he got injured, and so 
you know, again, you're looking at like a bit of bad luck in the 2006 World Cup when we went out again to Portugal. You look at, you know, Beckham got an injury. Wayne Rooney was sent off in that game. So really, again, it comes down to Wayne Rooney really fucking it up for Sven. <laughs> wow. Puts that in there. Patterson gets something on it. Bamba! Caliver ahead! And it's so Bamba! So 50 episodes, Ben. Mm. 50 episodes. This is our 50th. What a milestone. An incredible journey it's been. I've I've absolutely loved every minute, Arthur. We've regaled so many past players, past names, dug up so many stories. I think as a nostalgic football fan, it's just been a dreamy time. It really has. I've actually started donating to Wikipedia because I feel feel (laughs) guilty about my consumption of their content. Um, So thank you all those contributors around the world who've helped this podcast uh, become what it is, a real institution for the the five or so listeners. Um, So um, we have a, a, a mini announcement and it is that this is potentially, this is certainly the last episode of the series. We're undecided on whether we'll be back for another series. Essentially, what we want you guys to do as our listener is um, to, to to start a sort of global clamour for a turn. What we really want is a protest. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I, think, I think we both probably feel that that we've reached a point where over 500 nostalgic names have been discussed, Arthur. God. And we we, pro- we probably need to get off Wikipedia. <laughs> and just out of the house. And out of the house, <laughs> yeah. We, we need to get lives. Um, yeah. So I think this series kind of comes to an end and it's the end of an era. Um, yes. But if you, if you have stuck with us through these 50 episodes, we'd love to know who you are first of all um do let us know at 11 pod um and also we'd love to know what your highlights have been um like we say we we may be back but we may not be so um now is your best time to tell us yes and i thought that in this uh this half time uh we would discuss um some of essentially the most 11 names that we've been <laughs> yes. 11s thus far um so my task really for you ben is to to for each of these positions in a 442 uh, i'd like you to decide who is um the most 11 in that mm. position that's that's been included in an 11 so far yeah um so we've got 49 episodes to choose from i think it would be a bit indulgent to to choose one of those who features in the 50th episode it so would be, wouldn't it? 49 episodes choice um, who's your goalkeeper? Uh, in goal, Arthur, I've gone for Diego Cavalieri. Um, he featured in our Nintendo 11. Um, and I kind of felt like there was something classic 11 about that story where he obviously got photographed in his towel, unfortunately showed um, a little too much of himself and ended up splitting up with his his girlfriend about it. So, yeah, yeah crazy stories that come out of the podcast. What about you? Indeed. I, I just couldn't... Um couldn't help but but think it's very very 11 to have a tracksuit wearer in goal and yeah. so 
I'm harking back to episode two, the wet and windy Tuesday night 11 uh, and picking Gabor Kirai. Yeah, I love that. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I'm edging towards your pick there. I oh. love Gabor. Very kind. Okay, we'll go with Gabor. Very good. Left back, uh, there was only one choice for me, really, and that was Chris Makin. Oh, I put Chris Makin too. Yeah, star of the did he play there 11. I just, I still can't believe he played for Marseille. It's just mental. And also think um, a strong consideration, um, but obviously just edged out by Chris Makin, is yeah. um, is Clint Hill. Yeah. Um, you him as your ideal number three in the one to 11. <laughs> And I just, I just think that that's the fact that of all the iconic number threes, <laughs> I mean, come on. I love Clint and I love his namesake that's currently walking around Glasgow, having uh, changed his name to that during the brief Rangers spell. Um, Absolutely. Alongside Chris, um, for me, it had to be Festus Bayes. Yeah, also Chase Festus. Yeah, star of our own goals and gaffes, 11. Um, <laughs> what an incredible own goal. And also just sums up you, Arthur, really, p- plucking the most obscure name possible out the bag. It's a bloody bizarre name. Uh, it really is. And I just enjoyed learning in this this odyssey of footballing exploration. Um, some of these names, really, nobody has any right to have actually heard of Festus Bays. But, you know, we spread his good word. Uh, amongst yeah. amongst our loyal listeners so that's great uh, i'd also uh, think sinisa mihailovic i yeah, wanted to, okay. to episode one the world is 11 yeah um, this uh, a center back who, who who just banged them in from free kicks and and i think he's just pretty iconic so uh is, sinisa who, who who else did you have at center back was sinisa was picked twice actually so that that is a good pick um one of my favorite episodes was the unlikely Champions League finalists 11 and uh, Guile Givet stood out there. Um, I think we've mentioned him in a couple of other episodes too. Yeah, happy to include Guile. Um, So Guile and uh, and Festus at (laughs) centre-back. I went for Anthony Vanden Borra. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another Nintendo player, Um, simply because I was just obsessed with Football Manager 2006 and you quite rightly shone a light on his, uh, his career in that game. Uh, iconic to That's say the least. Brilliant pick. Let's go with Vanden Bora. Um, I went for another V. I went for Nelson Vivas from the Public Enemy Eleven. Um, love his tearing off of his shirt on the touchline, yeah. but I'm happy with Vanden Bora. Love that. Um, in the centre of the park, I um, two names. Uh, one sort of holding, one very attacking. Uh, I went for David Jones. Yeah, very elevený. Very yeah, 11. 11. Of course, yeah. he is the fourth David Jones on the list of David Joneses on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, and then Yusuf Chippo, who oh. is uh, 10, the underrated 11. You picked him. Yeah. I love that as well. I remember picking him. Um, I also went Moneyball 11 for Ludovic Silvestra. Um, just because that episode was absolutely ridiculous, and I don't know why we thought we were capable of picking it, but um, I really heavily considered um, Marcus Hanneman for his high claims. Yeah, <laughs> <That> brilliant stat <laughs> that he'd made 0.8 per season, fantastic. And uh, Brian Howard was my other pick. Um, yeah, enjoyed his his FA contributions Cup. in the FA Cup eleven. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, nice. I Can like David Jones personally. Yeah, 
Okay, should we pair David Jones and um, should we just do our Moneyball centre midfield? Yeah, David yeah, why not? Let's celebrate that phenomenal episode that um, that was the Moneyball eleven. Do listen back to that one; it's it's a load of crap. Um, <laughs> left left side, it had to be our five hundredth player for uh, that we named in an eleven. It was in the real Super League eleven. Uh, Ricardo Vazte. Yes. Absolutely love that. That's a really good pick. Um, I actually chose a nomination of yours that made it into our did a job 11 on the left of midfield. Uh, that's Lee McCulloch, of course. Yeah, uh, Lee McCulloch. Yeah, Ooh, just, I like that. I really enjoyed the did a job 11. I just thought we, mm. we used that phrase a lot. Um, but I think job. given it was the 500th pick, it's got to be Ricardo, I think, for that position. I think Vaz Tate did well, well in one of our... Um polls on twitter one of our um sort of poll tournaments that we ran so yeah, uh, maybe another reason obscuro. to get him in yeah i think it was obscuro um, um on the right i've got gary taylor fletcher oh uh, yeah very celebrated his rise from northwich northwich victoria in um straight out of conference um, very happy with that very 11 very 11 yeah i went wade elliott from the definitive championship 11 but um gary seems right for me Nice. Very good. And then up front, um, a lot of players. We we tend to like mm. picking forward heavy teams. Um, my first was was Tino Espria. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, episode 14, the Mavericks. Um yeah. and that was really down to the fact that he was our first ever um interaction really with a, a, a I mean a a man who's got millions of followers. Um so we loved that. Definitely. And and also, obviously, our only player to have ever brought out a range of guava flavoured condoms as a side hustle. So um, another good reason to get him in. Yeah. Uh, another striker I picked was Miksu Patalainen. Oh, um, yeah. You picked in Derby days. And I I, I wanted him in this uh, special 11-11 simply because um, I think it's very 11 to to pick someone who played in the derby of Hibs versus Hearts rather than Celtic versus Rangers. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> that's a really good point. I like it. Um, I, I went for the player that I think I enjoyed reading about the most, and that was uh, in the streets of Forgotten 11, Dennis Strachwellersi. Um <laughs> But I'm open to your call for the other striker. Okay, we're going to mix it up. <laughs> I did think Uwe Fuchs might make your list as well at one Oh, point. Uwe Fuchs. Also, <laughs> yeah. um, who was the um the Celtic centre back called like, Raphael Shite? <laughs> Raphael Shite and Uwe Fuchs. <laughs> oh, we do have a lot. So summing up our eleven e eleven, we have Gabor Kirai in goal, Anthony Vandenborough right back. Gile Givet and Festus Bays at centre-back. Chris Makin, <laughs> a unanimous choice here at left-back. Uh, Gary Taylor-Fletcher on the right of midfield. Uh, Ricardo Vazte on the left. And a centre-midfield pairing of Ludovic Sylvester and David Jones. Uh, and then up front, we've got Tino Espria and Mixu Patalainen. Oh, um, that was a fun stroll down memory lane. Really enjoyed that. I mean, if you if you enjoyed that little feature, then the back catalogue is all there. Um, do make sure you check them out. There's so many more names than that. But but what an eleven!
we return to the Sven Joran Elevenson. And on the left side of the midfield, Arthur, do you know who the first ever Brazilian was to play in the Premier League? Oh, that's a very good question. I'm also trying to rack my brains for who he's managed in the Premier League. Hmm. Um, he didn't less... actually manage this player in the Premier League. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Juninho? No, it was Isaias. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I've not heard of that name. Well, he was a 32 year old at the time, a veteran, and he signed for Coventry City for 500,000, but largely flopped. He was a fan favourite. They loved him for his flair and excitement, but he featured in just 14 competitive matches over two seasons and ultimately fell out with manager Gordon Strachan. But prior to Coventry, Isaias was a star, uh, and that was at Sven's Benfica. It was actually during the second of Sven's two reigns in charge of Benfica He first joined them in 1982, immediately after Gothenburg, and he was an immediate success there. In two years, he won two Primera Divisial, the Taca de Portugal, and he finished runners-up in the 1982-83 UEFA Cup to Anderlecht. Mental. But then Sven was tapped up to be Roma manager, followed from the training grounds by a car containing members of the Rome embassy. That prompted a five-year Portuguese hiatus. He pursued greater glory in Serie A before a return for another three-season spell at Benfica in the late 80s, early 90s. And this time he led them to the European Cup final and scooped another league title. Sven's best two win percentages were both at Benfica, 73.8 and 65.28. Isaias was a fan favourite at the Estadio de Luz under Sven, being also referred to as a force of nature due to his stamina and combativeness. He also scored regularly, being the owner of a powerful long-range shot. Um, arguably his greatest moment actually came uh, with the Lisbon side uh, in 1991 in the last round prior to the group stage of the season's European Cup. It was against Arsenal at Highbury and he assisted once and scored twice in a 3-1 win. After retiring from the professional game, Isaias tried his skills at beach soccer, although actually this time he represented an adoptive nation, Portugal. Uh, He wasn't allowed to play for Brazil for some reason during that time. So uh, interestingly, he swapped nations to play the beach version of the game, Arthur. Do you have any idea why he wasn't allowed to play for Brazil? No, because they've typed it wrong in the Wikipedia <laughs> article. And that's the only place that I get my research from. Like, Why didn't Isaiah's play for Brazil? This is going to be a fascinating feature while you find out. Prevented. Yeah, so, so this is from... He's Brazilian and cost us half a million. Prevented from playing <laughs> in matches as the Portuguese didn't accept Brazilian-born players in their national team. Well, why can't the Brazilian-born player play for Brazil? I don't know. I think this is one of those stories we'll just never get to the bottom of. I think that's probably fair. What a (laughs) weird thing, because the guy's got a fantastic record, 100 goals in 300 games. 
if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you will know that at least one position or actually just one position in our 11 is up for grabs. And we get sports personalities or journalists uh, to tell us who they think should be in our 11. Uh, today, it's a centre midfielder. There'll be a poll for that on Twitter or X or whatever it's called this week. Um, so do head over there at 11 pod, the word, not the number. But for now, I think it's me again, Arthur. Unreal. It is me. And yeah. the other centre midfielder in the Sven Uren Elevenson is David Platt. David Platt. Wow. Where did he play for Sven? Sampdoria. Wow. No, I yeah. think I do know this because that definitely was one of the names that, that was flung out there in the Brits Abroad eleven, uh, but wasn't chosen. Well, we didn't pick him. Um, we overlooked him. Well, we're not overlooking him now. He's in. Isn't that because there was another Sampdorian Englishman? Uh, ooh, I don't know that. Was it like so, Jay Paul No, no, not Paul Ince. He was in Jay Bothroyd. I think he was Perugia. Oh uh, yeah, there was definitely another Sampdorian, but I can't remember it off the cuff. So we'll get that. Right away, ben. Sven joined Sampdoria in 1992. A club with a family feel, but with key men Roberto Mancini and Gianluca Viali central to how the club was run. He also met Roberto Mancini at Sampdoria. And by 1992, though, Mancini had been there for a decade and was already a club legend. Mancini ran the club, says Ericsson. He would ring the kitchen and tell them that we would be late. So therefore keep the pasta warm. He would call the kit man and make sure all of the kit was ready to use. He was involved in everything. He was like one of Mantovani's children. Mancini and Viali used to eat at his house regularly. So he inherited quite a difficult situation at Sampdoria where there were these two big personalities. And it all went wrong when Viali was sold to Juve just as he joined, um, which gave Sven an even tougher job to reinvent the side. He installed a defensive system the way he knew best, using the strength and savviness of Pietro Verkerwood, Sanisa Mihailovic and Moreno Manini. And despite never winning a title, the Swede was able to keep Sampdoria in the top half of Serie A and win a Coppa Italia. But also a key part of Sven's teams at Sampdoria was David Platt, having previously played for Bari and Juve. Platt was a seasoned Serie A name at this time, but still looked horrendously weird lining up in stylish Italy. Um, There was this really awkward Soccer Italia skit, um, which kind of summed up the cringeworthiness of Platt out there. Um, He was good humoured. He gave it a go, but let's listen to this. Yo, Jimmy. David Platt, is that you? Yeah, I'm sorry I'm late. I've got the law on my tail. You ready to do the programme? Uh, yeah, do you not think that maybe this is going to damage your Mr Nice Guy image, though? Damn, you're right. I better go in and get cleaned up, but I'll be back. Just very uncomfortable, poor guy. Um, but Platt on the field was technically adept, not uncomfortable at all, and a wonderful finisher. He played 55 league games for Sampdoria, scoring 17 goals from midfield, and he became a fan favourite. So a hero is a player, Platt, and a hero under Sven... But weirdly, it turns sour, uh, his relationship with the Italian club. Only months after having retired, Platt returned in 1998 to manage a struggling Sampdoria. No sooner had Platt conducted a seamless bilingual press conference that the daggers were out for him. According to the Italian league regulations, he didn't possess the required coaching qualifications 
to do the role. Um, the Italian Coaches Federation were leading the charge, warning Sampdoria that they were in breach of the Federation Article 1. Um, and Sampdoria's cunning solution, which they hoped would satisfy all parties, uh, was that Platt would take on the role of supervisor, um, whilst little-known Giorgio Veneri would take the formal title of coach. But on the pitch, it got so much worse. Uh, Platt managed just three points from a possible 18. Um, he lasted just six games, 50 days, and then resigned under immense pressure before Sampdoria were relegated. So um, a relationship that turned sour between Platt and Sampdoria, sadly. But it was all good under Sven. Absolutely. It's fascinating to kind of hear about Platt's career. He was such an unbelievable midfielder for Aston Villa in the late 80s. Um, that that essentially the move to Barry is quite an unusual, it's quite an unusual move. I'm not sure whether Barry were like a particularly good Serie A team at the time. Obviously, subsequently, Juve and Sampdoria are, are, are sort of more established, better sides, I guess. But off the back of two 19-goal league seasons in a row, um, to suddenly move to to Italy to Barry is quite, a, quite an unusual move for him. But an England legend as well, Um Probably one of the better players we've had in an eleven, I guess. When you say Barry, it makes me think you're you're meaning like Barry Island in Wales. Oh, Barry! Barry. I got it. That was much better. I like that. And on the right-hand side of midfield, uh, moving to Neri Castillo. Oh, that seems so eleven, Arthur. It does a little bit. Um, we're delving here into a few of the less successful spells of Sven's managerial career with Man City and Mexico, where he very briefly had the privilege of taking a star such as Neri Castillo under his managerial wing. Um, virtually a year to the day after he left the England job, um, Sven was installed as Man City manager, signing a three-year contract worth £2 million a year. Um, he was City's first manager from outside of the United Kingdom and the first Swedish manager in the Premier League. Uh, a raft of new signings arrived. This was while City was still under Thai ownership, um, including Rolando Bianchi, uh, Jelson Fernandez, Giovanni, Martin Petrov, Alano, Chorluca and Javier Garrido. Um, some really uh, classic Premier League years names there, I'd say. Uh, nippy winger Neri Castillo also arrived to a fanfare. He'd been brilliant at Olympiakos and Shakhtar Donetsk had paid big money uh, for him the previous summer. He'd fallen out with them, though, uh, as he incurred the ire of manager Mercia Luchescu for refusing to hand over the ball to the designated penalty kick taker and missing. So they immediately froze him out, dropped him. Um, and and uh, so desperate was Neri uh, to join Man City on loan uh, that he actually incredibly paid half of the loan fee himself. Uh, wow. commented, he was desperate to come to us, desperate to come to England, desperate to come to the Premier League. Uh, so he really dug deep. But I guess when you've signed for 20 million euros uh, the previous summer, you're clearly fairly well paid. Man City started the season well. Uh, they beat reigning Premier League champions Man U to go top uh, after three games without conceding a goal. Things were looking bloody brilliant for Sven. Uh, indeed, he won the Premier League Manager of the Month award for August. Um, the club stayed in the top six throughout the rest of the, 2007 
and were third throughout October and November, but fell to seventh on the 12th of January 2008 after winning only one of their previous five games and Sven was sacked. Um, Neri Castillo played not a not a large part in that season for Man City. Um, in his first home appearance for the club, he was stretched off after 32 minutes with a broken shoulder, um, which wasn't ideal. Do you remember him in the Premier League at all, Ben? I remember bits and bobs. I remember remember him being sort of small and agile. Like yourself. I can't, yeah, just like me. Um, he probably looks a bit like me, actually. <laughs> I think if, if I'm allowed to say that you looked like Sebastian Squilacci, yeah. maybe we finally found my lookalike. <laughs> uh, the pair would reunite actually briefly at Mexico where uh, Ericsson was unveiled the day after his dismissal by City. Uh, It appears, however, that his stint at Mexico was not only um, victory in the first game aside, pretty average and ended with a run of defeats, but also characterised by constantly being linked with moves back to managing England, prompting his dismissal after less than a year in charge. Neri Castillo would drift around for a few years. He was blighted by injuries and bouts of poor form. And another one to add to the list of um, most <laughs> football careers. Uh, following his retirement oh. from football, he dedicated himself to selling fishing equipment and gear in Athens. <laughs> I don't really know what this means, but he also has a branch in Fournois Island near Ikaria. Uh- this has really got me. Do, do you know what his his angler's shop is called in Greece? No. <laughs> Neri's Fishing. So oh. basic. So bizarre. I think we're on cover. And we never even have done the post-playing career 11. It's amazing. Uh, apparently he's become a millionaire doing it, though. Has he? Yeah. Incredible. Wow. It's one of the most um, successful angling shops in history. I can't believe that. Amazing. Bloody hell. People clearly love fishing and stuff like that in Greece. Vickering's <laughs> <laughs> cross is in low and Isaias has swung his right foot at the ball and it's dropped in the corner. That's one back for Coventry. That'll do nicely. So Arthur, we're, we're, we've got one player just kind of poking himself in behind the back, the, the front two. Um, what an odd yeah. way to say it. He's a kind of number ten. Yeah. We're calling him a deep lying forward. I think. Yeah, um, okay. that's what we're going with. I have always been absolutely fascinated by the Surrey-born Filipino brothers James and Phil Young Husband. <laughs> Um, I don't really know why, um, but I always have. And I think it probably stems again, like most of my niche, weird footballing knowledge from football manager. Um, They started their careers in Chelsea's youth team. Um, Phil in particular was uh, an immense talent. He was youth team top scorer in consecutive years um, and was a particularly great hope. However, he failed to transition to the first team and, via a loan to Esbjerg, where he didn't play. (laughs) Um, In 2011, age 22, both Phil and James left to join San Beda in the Philippines. 
And then top division side, Loyola Moralco Sparks. I would say it was there really that Phil in particular, again, simply because he was the striker, whereas James was a kind of centre midfielder. So Phil was the one who typically attracted the attention. He certainly made a splash in the Philippines. He made his debut for Loyola in 2011 uh, in the UFL Cup, which was a Filipino tournament. And in his debut, he fired a tournament high seven goals and a 15-1 demolition of newcomer team Socceroo FC. You oh, seem wow. they might be playing in the wrong country. <laughs> uh, incredibly, young Phil would he would finish as the tournament's golden boot recipient after scoring twenty five goals in seven games. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> um, when you consider he scored twenty five and seven, um, his. 49 goals in all competitions that season is actually pretty, pretty rubbish, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Oh, um, but um, yeah, very impressive from him. He also had a stint at Davao Aguilas uh, a little bit later in his career, another Filipino side. Um, stats are pretty hard to find on his goal scoring uh, other than that first season, really. Um, but he was very clearly a massive fish in a small pond, um, a Filipino uh, he was half Filipino, so his his mum was Filipino, um, or hopefully still is. I don't know, um, and uh, and therefore he was sort of it was kind of almost like a homecoming because he was a national hero. Fifty two goals in a hundred and eight games internationally, um, which is absolutely incredible considering the size of the nation. This also happened to be one of Sven's more bizarre stints. Um, <laughs> appointed as head coach of the Philippines on a six-month contract in October 2018. Um, quite bizarre. And it was the last stint of his his career in football management. Um, he was actually recommended for the, for the role um, by interim coach Scott Cooper, uh, who he knew from a previous role, I think at Leicester, off the cuff. And he took over after Terry Butcher's resignation in August. <laughs> Did you know that Terry had managed uh, managed uh, Philippines either? No, 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 I absolutely didn't. No, neither did I. Um, Paul Sven was tasked with leading the Philippines into the 2019 AFC Asian Cup. Uh, it was the team's first appearance in the tournament, um, and it was at a slightly higher level than than the nation was used to. Um, they actually put in a really respectable showing in their first group match when they lost only 1-0 to South Korea, which is um, pretty amazing considering the strength of that nation in footballing terms. Uh, however, things then did slump as it was followed by a 3-0 loss to China, who, whilst populous, are pretty rubbish at football, and a 3-1 loss to Kyrgyzstan. It seems like quite a weird, damp squib to end your footballing your sort of career in football management and the game in general um so quite what sort of possessed Sven to, to take on the role at such a minnow on the international footballing stage really eludes me but um definitely worthy of mention considering it was his last and um and also good job Sven going for it a, a kind of you know slightly off the uh off the beaten track nation and um and at least putting in one good showing in that first game. Feeding off young husband is Asamoa Jan. Sorry, feeding off young husband is horrible. Is like, it? Yeah. Oh, I meant I just meant through balls. Okay, actually, fine. Does that make any better? I don't know. 
Um, That's awful. That's so bad. I I really remember Jeanne's time at Sunderland fondly. 10 goals in 34 games. Um, But actually, arguably, his greatest success is for the Ghana national team, where he managed 51 goals in 109 games and was captain. Or even at Al Ain, where he scored 73 goals in 65 games. That's absolutely ridiculous. Bloody he was always um, always prolific, very agile and astute finisher. Um, and he was managed by Sven at Shanghai SIPG. Um, and at that point in his career, Jian's salary got a lot of attention. Overall, he was reportedly earning £23.6 million. That was over the course of his full contract with Shanghai SIPG. Um, and ultimately, he'd play just 26 matches in that time. Oh so we're God. talking £1 million per game. Um, wow. He was at the time in the top 10 highest paid footballers in the world. And surely not one of the 10 best players in the world. The Shanghai job came at a weird time in Ericsson's career. Having left Leicester City, he was unemployed for a bit. He applied for the Leeds job, didn't get it. Became technical director of BEC Terro Sasana, a team in the Thai Premier League. Then had talks with Valerenga, Ukraine and 1860 Munich, all fruitless, before eventually settling for a job in China with Guangzhou RNF. He did well. The team finished third and qualified for the AFC Champions League for the first time. But negotiations of an extended contract hit a stumbling block and Sven moved to Shanghai. And here he would work with Jian. He led Shanghai SIPG to finish runners-up in the season of 2015 and they qualified for the AFC Champions League for the first time. So again, a success. But fans didn't like the fact that he favoured veterans like Jian and even Tobias Heisen over young Chinese talent. And eventually Sven would move on to Shenzhen, which interestingly is nearly an anagram of his name, but it's not. Um, And there he was arguably less successful. Um, But what would really um, put Shenzhen in the headlines surrounding Sven was the way they got rid of him. Instead of choosing to sack Sven in the traditional manner and putting out a statement, they instead chose to welcome a new manager first. It was their former striker, Wang Boashan. And while Sven was still in charge, they posted the following poem on their social media pages. 11 years ago, you led Shenzhen football and never let us down. Nine years ago, you took over responsibilities and saved Shenzhen football. Memories of fighting together have never gone away. And now we recall the legend. For Shenzhen, we are reunited, starting a new trip together. Coach Wang, welcome home. Which was followed about five minutes later by a statement going, Shenzhen have sacked Sven Goran Eriksson. Which is just not not a good way to, to let someone know they've been fired, surely. Yeah, that is a bizarre, bizarre process. Um, the things you find out, I think Chinese football really was a weird place at the time. Obviously, when we looked at the real Super League 11, we delved very deeply into it. Um, often clubs going bust years like a year after winning the title, all sorts of bizarre antics going on. And the final striker is uh, another insanely talented player. Uh, who will fill Premier League fans with a little bit of nostalgia as well. Uh, it's Alan Boxic. Oh, Borough. Yes. 
absolute borough icon towards the end of his career. Um, in December 1996, uh, Sven agreed to leave Sampdoria at the end of the season to manage Blackburn Rovers. Um, you may wonder why we haven't mentioned Blackburn Rovers on this pod so far. Uh, and that was because he went back on his word in February yeah, 1997 and opted to stay in Italy and become the manager of Lazio. Ericsson employed fellow Swede Tord Grip as his assistant. Uh, it would arguably be the most successful spell of his career as he won the Coppa Italia uh, and the Italian Super Cup in 1998 and 2000, uh, the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1999, uh, that was the final year the tournament was held, and the Scudetto in 2000. Only the second time that the Roman club had won the Italian Championship in their history. And central to that success was Alan Boxic, who Sven brought back to the club in 1997. He'd already enjoyed success with the club from 1993 to 96, uh, before an unsuccessful move to Turin, uh, where he scored just three goals in his sole season with the Aventus. He would fit Sven's style of play like a glove, and whilst he was not as prolific as he'd been at Marseille or Hydric Split earlier in his career, he led the line superbly and contributed hugely to the, to the success that Sven had whilst he was in Rome. A physically strong and technical forward, in 2010 he was voted number 32 on the list of best foreign players in the history of Syria. So this is the kind of calibre of player we're dealing with. And as you mentioned earlier, Premier League fans know him for that two-year stint at the end of his career at Middlesbrough. He was their top goal scorer in his first season, uh, leading the line with Hamilton Rickard uh, as he became a cult hero at Middlesbrough. By this point in his career, though, he was somewhat blighted by injuries. So uh, his time at Borough was sadly fairly short-lived and he hung his boots up um, after those two seasons. So I just wanted here to shine a light really on Sven's time uh, at Lazio, we hadn't really, really mentioned uh, thus far, obviously crossing the divide in Rome, going from Roma to Lazio. That's a, a difficult, you know, a difficult move to make. He left it uh, a few years between the moves, but it certainly wouldn't have been forgotten by the Roma fans. Um, so clearly um, a difficult move to make. But um, yeah, we had to mention Lazio. We had to mention Alan Boxic, and we've done that now. Love that, Arthur. Um, Leon Wilde, I think, does a really interesting job of describing in, in his article in Planet Football, Alan Boxic is football's Rubik's Cube, which is such a nice description. Just all these flashes of brilliance, but, um, you know, aha moments, but it, it never entirely coming together. Y could you say, Arthur, for one last time, maybe that Alan Boxic... Unfulfilled potential. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh... No, I think he fulfilled his potential reasonably okay. well. Okay, I thought I'd try it, but I'm yeah. really delighted to get him in the team. Here's Boxic, claiming possession in his own half. Check to see who was near him, and the answer was nobody. Still Boxic, chips! Oh, that's fantastic! A brilliant, brilliant goal from the Croatian...
Okay, so we return to our final centre midfielder in the eleven, and we have a fantastic nomination. Really chuffed about this one. It's Danny Harvey, and Danny Harvey is the brains and coordination behind a new football magazine called The Gaffer. If you're into nostalgic football, I think this magazine might just be for you. Um, it's the special one. That's the uh, the first iteration of The Gaffer. Uh, it's coming out very soon, available to pre-order. Over 120 pages, more than 20 long read articles, great writers, brilliant illustrations. Well worth checking out. I'd suggest going to Twitter at The Gaffer Mag. Uh, but let's hear Danny's nomination. Uh, which centre midfielder is he going to pick that's been managed by Sven? The first player that sprung to my mind was Juan Sebastian Verón, who Sven signed for Sampdoria from Boca Juniors, where he was playing with Diego Maradona, having joined them from Estudantes, the club at which his dad was a legend. It was under Sven at Sampdoria that he developed into one of the best creative midfielders in the world, capable of playing in multiple roles, either as a deep-line playmaker or just behind the forwards. Sven departed for Lazio while Veron joined Parma, but they were reunited when Sven signed them for Lazio just a year later. It was here that he played the best football of his career in centre midfield alongside Diego Simeone. He'd strut around in his low socks with his shinies on show and his signature goatee and bald head combo dictating the play. Great dribbling skills and an uncanny ability to find pockets of space. Sven described them as one of the best passers in Europe. While he struggled to adapt to the Premier League after Man United signed them for an English record fee, he went on to enjoy something of an Indian summer back at Estudantes, who he led to two league titles, the Copa Libertadores, and twice won the South American Player of the Year. About Sven, he said he was the best coach I could have dreamed of. He let me play my way and showed trust in me like no other coach in my career. And this is why I think he'd be perfect in the heart of that midfield as the creative cog of the Sven eleven. Love that from Danny. Yes, another Lazio player who really came into his own under Sven, Arthur. Yep, superb player. Um, and I'm also going for an Italian-based player. Okay. Um, I simply cannot get my head around the fact that Sven managed Carlo Ancelotti. <laughs> wow, that does not seem real. It's just bizarre. I mean... He did manage him at Roma for three years towards the end of the 80s. Um, Don Carlo, one of the greatest managers of all time, also considered maybe one of the finest midfielders of his generation. In a successful period for the club, I'm afraid the same can't really be said of Sven's time at Roma. Um, He had a win percentage of under 50%. Uh, He only won one trophy. That was the Coppa Italia in 1986. And that was obviously made all the more galling by the success he achieved in the same stadium for City rivals Lazio. Um, So I just needed to quickly mention Carlo Ancelotti. Brilliant, Arthur. That one will be in the poll too. And making up that uh, three that you have to choose from, is it Lano Bloomer? Alano Bloomer? Yeah, is that the Man City Alano? It is, yeah. Best best known as Alano. They normally leave out the Bloomer bit. Um, I loved him. I thought he was a quality fantasy league pick, a majestic free to kick taker. Um, he actually had 50 caps and nine goals for Brazil. So a very high caliber of player. 
Um, he played for Sven at Man City, of course, having signed for £8 million. Not a particularly wonderful time for City in terms of league position, some teething issues with their newfound fortunes. But nevertheless, Alano was the kind of players uh, that fans love. Uh, unpredictable, capable of scoring amazing goals, just annoyingly inconsistent. What a three to pick from. If you head to Twitter, at 11pod, the poll will be there. Well, I enjoyed that. I do have a soft spot for Sven, and it was interesting to hear about some of the successes pre-England. One name that I'd quite like to pop on the bench for today didn't quite make the starting eleven. Bruno Berner, Arthur. Leicester City. Yeah, he managed him at Leicester. Um, didn't really associate Bruno Berner with Leicester, um, but looking oh, it up, yeah. I immediately him. associated him with Yeah, Leicester. clearly, clearly you did. So uh, needn't have been on the bench after all. Not that surprising to you, it seems. Yeah, I don't actually have anyone on the bench. And so we're going to swiftly move to <laughs> running you through this Sven Uren Elevenson. In goal, we have Russell Holt, a back three of Sol Bamba, Anthony Gardner and Glenn Hyson. On the right of midfield, it's Neri Castillo. On the left of midfield, it's Isaias. In the centre, it's David Platt and a choice of yours. And then up front, we have Phil Young-Husband playing behind Alan Boxic and Asamoah Gian. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 